Welcome. I'm Lisa Connell, Executive Director of SHRM's Executive Network, HR People and Strategy. As part of the HRPS video and podcast series, we will share the research we recently published on the future Chief People Officer. We wanted to study the future profile and how we might accelerate the growth and development of the next generation CPO. In order to do this, we partnered with Willis Towers Watson to examine key changes shaping the role and to identify a pathway for developing the next generation of HR leaders. In this podcast episode, Willis Towers Watson's Managing Director, Robin Josuthasan, and Global Business Leader, Suzanne McAndrew, will discuss the methodology and key findings, which include five pivotal imperatives. Each of these will showcase the skills, behavior, and experiences required to shape innovative human capital solutions, and of course, recommendations for impact. The following audio is an excerpt from our webinar on the research findings. Uh, Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. We, as you know, have been embarked on this study around the future of the Chief People Officer, and we're delighted to share with you uh, some of the findings. So first, a little bit of context for the world in which we operate and the world in which both the current and the next generation of Chief People Officers are are operating and need to be operating. Uh, We are certainly in a world that is moving at exponential pace, where both the pace and the quantum of change um, is significantly greater than anything society has ever seen. Certainly the power of digitalization and technology advancement, which is causing many different business models to be challenged and questioned, um, as we have seen over the course of our research, both on this effort as well as in other areas, the implications of legacy are being questioned even more. Legacy used to be a primary source of competitive advantage, and in many instances now, it's an impediment to uh, the continued success of our organizations. And to that point, the focus on the future becomes increasingly critical. As we look to perhaps leverage and maybe in some cases transcend legacy, culture becomes increasingly critical. In a world that's much more connected, where work is much more distributed with multi-generational workforces, how we create that connective tissue across the different workforce segments, organizational functions, geographies even, uh, becomes increasingly critical. And the power combination of digitalization coupled with work increasingly being distributed is creating an imperative for us to reinvent work, asking the question of what work should remain within the organization, how might work be deployed from employees to technology to gig workers to alliance partners, um, how might the jobs be deconstructed and reconstructed uh, in order to stay relevant. And all of these things have got significant implications for HR as well as leadership on a go-forward basis. And this really was the impetus for our partnership with HRPS. And we've embarked to collectively on a year-long journey to explore how the role of the chief people officer is changing to identify some of the important and emerging trends that will shape the future of our profession, our discipline, and our function. So first, a little bit of data about the study. We named our study, The Future of the Chief People Officer, Imagine, Invent, and Ignite. And let me tell you why we were so deliberate in in choosing those words. Positioning HR as the strategic epicenter of an ever-evolving work system where work is increasingly being done by non-employee talent and non-employee labor requires us to fundamentally rethink 
the work of HR and the work of work within organizations. So reimagining or imagining the future. It requires us to invent some new technical skills to re-envision the role of some of the other elements of the deal, specifically continuous learning, and a willingness to build some new foundations and some new capabilities to ensure that our organizations have the optimal combinations of human talent and automation. And then lastly, to ignite. Taking HR into the future requires passion that will ignite a path forward for the function, for the next generation of HR leaders, and for talent across this distributed ecosystem to ensure that we're unlocking business value and our organizations remain relevant in a world that's changing because of all those forces. When we first started off on this journey almost a year ago, we wanted to ask a few questions. Specifically, how are organizations repositioning their talent and culture in a world that is accelerating um, across both in terms of pace and quantum of change and is increasingly digital? What does this actually mean for the chief people officer of the future? What are some of the experiences, knowledge, skills, behaviors that they're going to need to develop or to enhance to drive business growth? How does HR support some of these changes and become the hub and enable the organization to become the hub of a much larger ecosystem for work? And what game-changing issues are CPOs facing and will they, will they continue to face associated with the future of work and the rapid changes in the world around us? So some pretty ambitious questions. And what we wanted to do was ensure that we heard the voices of all of the critical stakeholders to ensure that we were shaping a coherent and relevant message. So we gathered real stories, experiences, data, and perspectives from over 500 executives around the world, including some 230 chief people officers and nearly 300 CEOs, CXOs, board members and academics from all around the world across multiple industries and geographies. And what we'd like to start with is to share with you the five pivot points that we view as being elemental and foundational, the ongoing growth and relevance of the chief people officer and the changes that are being asked of, of both CPOs today as well as the next generation of CPOs. So let's, uh, let's jump into some of these headlines and we will delve into each of these in, in some significant detail. So the first key pivot point relates to pushing the boundaries of organizational ability. We know that in our organizations today, our need to continuously pivot and, and ensure the continued relevance of our businesses, businesses that are nimble and agile and change ready is increasingly critical. And foundational to that ability to push the boundaries of agility is a growing recognition that unleashing digitalization and understanding how technology is changing the nature of work and how it's going to, in many cases, liberate our talent within the organization as we apply more AI and process automation, liberate our talent from some of the administrative or operational tasks, enable them to focus on higher value activities, arguably the more human aspects of work is going to be increasingly critical. As a key foundation or as a key outcome of that digitalization is recognizing that we need to embrace perpetual work reinvention and an opportunity for CHROs to refine and change their remit from being stewards of employment to increasingly being stewards of work and enabling organizations to achieve the optimal combinations of humans and machines while ensuring that we are creating the opportunities and the conditions for continuously reskilling of our current talent as well as the talent to come. 
Now, the foundation for all of that change is the need for us to rethink culture and leadership. Um, one of our participants captured it beautifully. In a world which is constrained, which in the world we came from, which was largely driven by structure and our ability to organize work through job architecture and organization design, but in a world that's distributed and changing rapidly, culture becomes the new structure. And with that, recognition that leadership needs to change pretty quickly and significantly if, if we are going to continue to be relevant. And the last key pivot point relates to elevating the HR decision science. We've heard so much in our profession for the last several years about the need to advance our data analytics and our capabilities, and we certainly saw evidence of that. Equally, there is a significant opportunity to elevate the decision science that has underpinned the work of HR for many decades. But how do we give that decision science prominence as well as the opportunity to leverage the new decision tools, machine learning, natural language processing, and predictive analytics so that that decision science is enhanced and elevated and not lost for all of the new data. So we're going to dive into each of these, and I'm going to hand it over to my colleague, Suzanne, to, take us, uh, to start taking us through these in turn. Suzanne? Great. Thanks, Robin, and hello, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us this afternoon. Uh, we're real excited to go deeper, share some stories, and share some of um, the questions that are emerging from this study. I think a great place to start uh, as we go into these headlines is really to take a closer look about what we mean by pushing the boundaries to drive and power organizational agility. So, you know, as Robin was starting to lay out in today's complex, ever-shifting business environment, organizations, no matter how big or how small, face a strategic imperative to be more nimble in making decisions, to embrace a more agile way of working that really combats the forces of disruption. You know, you look at this statistic from Forbes, you know, 71% of Fortune 1000 companies changed over the 10-year period between 2003 and 2013. So some of you might be sitting around the table with your leadership teams or maybe sitting by yourself at your desk, and I imagine some of you might say that's a bit startling to look at. Or maybe others of you are saying, yep, <laughs> no surprises here because you felt that. In fact, we've all seen that. You know, if you think about it, think about um, that company we all knew as Blockbuster. You know, $6 billion company, 60,000 employees, 9,000 stores, and a little company by the name of Netflix that launched in 1998 and one April in 1998 in about 10 years with 100 employees took that company to a place today that only has one store left. So this pace of change being critical, and that's something that we heard loud and clear from our C-suite interviews. In one interview with a chief transformation officer and leader of strategy, he said, we need HR to really be a business-led function. We need HR to think about their strategy as the business strategy and work in partnership with us. We also heard that from a number of other CEOs like Stefan Kazriel, the CEO of Upwork. As you can see, when we, when we spoke to Stefan, he talked about the importance of getting things done right with the right people and the right talent and the right function. So really the power of the people's strategy powering the business strategy. 
So a lot of this says that we have more work to do in the area of organization agility. And you can see here one of the interesting insights we had here, what was almost 100%, not quite, of, of respondents saying the HR executive must have that agility and courage to, to evolve, to steady the organization and enable it to, to move forward quickly. Yet, when we asked, you know, well, um, how are we prepared to do that, only a third, 35% of the respondents felt that chief people officers are prepared to respond to the future complexity that we are all facing. Now, again, this may not be a surprise, and I started to wonder, you know, as we, we dove into the research, well, why is that true? Some of our focus group respondents started to say, well, there's a tension between balancing what might be viewed as old HR, so keeping the wheels on the bus going, versus the emerging views of HR. The other point that the focus group participants pointed out was maybe lack of organizational support, or maybe it's change aversion, or maybe it's concerns that the organization is accepting the risk taking that we need to make in the HR function. So the call to action is that we really have to look at mindsets and skill sets. We have to think about as CPOs fostering ambidexterity, really looking about the way HR is organized and the way it's working for the business. That right tolerance for risk taking, like Bill Strahan from Comcast said, allow your organization to adopt and grow with the risk mentality. Thinking about how do we make performance management more collaborative performance and aligning rewards, not just with goals, but with behavior. And I, I do think what Susanna just talked about, that agility really is an underpinning condition for how work is changing. And this is a piece of research that we gathered earlier this year from some 1,200 organizations. And not surprisingly, what we see is automation and digitalization continuing to transform work. And 1,200 organizations we talked to said over the last three years, the percentage of work done through automation has, has effectively doubled and is expected to double again over the course of the next three years. And so what you see is the percentage of work being done by employees in full-time jobs, which was about 100% at the start of the last century, finding its way to, uh, rapidly down to the high 60s across the world. And so work is shifting beyond employment, and with it, a challenge for HR leaders to increasingly engage in helping the organization to achieve the optimal combinations of humans and machines. And as I said a second ago, to shift from being a steward of employment to increasingly being a steward of, steward of work, to help the organization lead with the work as opposed to falling into the trap of technology wagging the tail of the business. But it's not just about automation of the organization, it's also the automation of HR, as you see in uh, Melissa's quote here from, from Duke. You know, the opportunity for us to digitize transactional work within the function in much the same way we've done so with, uh, with our customer-facing functions and roles, to shift and pivot our talent from the highly administrative, low-touch work to the more truly human work of engagement and interaction. But we also saw that many CPOs felt that there was significant opportunity for, for improvement here. 36% said that they are prepared today to think about getting to that optimal combination 
of humans and work. And we see some evidence of that. Lots more experiments in, in the marketplace of HR functions helping organizations lead with the work to figure out the role of automation as opposed to perhaps having a technologist lead with technology and then figuring out the human consequence. But also an opportunity for HR to, to develop its capabilities as it relates to evaluating some of these new technologies. One of the roles that we're starting to see emerge within HR functions is, is that of almost a chief digitalist, of someone who is scanning the marketplace to understand new and emerging technologies and how those technologies might be deployed within HR or the potential implications of those technologies for work across the organization and the consequences for, for human work. Now, underpinning that change associated with work and automation is a significant challenge for the world as it relates to the need to reskill and upskill and redeploy talent. As more and more automation permeates the organization as we now grapple with this new plurality of means for work, think of gig workers, alliances, offshorers, outsourcers, independent contractors, and all of these the challenges associated with navigating these choices, what we're seeing is the need for talent to stay relevant is becoming increasingly essential. And with that, an opportunity for HR to think about its role and the role of reskilling and learning within the organization. Here's a statistic from the World Economic Forum that points to no less than 54% of all employees will require significant upskilling and reskilling. And of that, some 35% are expected to need an additional tra uh, training of, of six months. The same study pointed out the need for at least 100 days of learning over the course for, for most talent in order for them to stay relevant. So what, what we're seeing is learning and reskilling and upskilling rapidly shifting from being at the fringes of the value proposition, which is where it often is, ha has been in the past, where it often is when we are faced with a downturn in the economy, to increasingly becoming the centerpiece of, of the New Deal. And Johnny Taylor, the uh, CEO of Sherm, said it really well when we talked to him that, you know, he just factors into his business plan that he's going to need to retrain people forever. And I think that that's a really critical point about the learning shifting to the epicenter of the deal. It also needs to be a key part of the business plan as opposed to something that happens after we've thought about the markets we wanna grow into, the products we wanna invest in, and the businesses we wanna grow. That learning component really needs to be front and center there. Now, what we saw from the respondents in the study was that some 94% said that they are able to handle and recognize the need for learning to be able to ensure that the workforce stays relevant, but yet only 18% felt, felt that they were ready to actually deliver meaningful reskilling of the workforce. And it points to a need for us to fundamentally rethink what learning looks like. Today, it is often an event with very high frictional cost, both in terms of hard dollars and time. And I think going forward, we heard from both the participants here in the study, as well as some of the other stakeholders, the CXOs, a need for learning to be much more seamlessly integrated with how work is done, a need for us to reduce the frictional cost, the moving from that traditional model or mindset of a degree match to a person to thinking about multiple options for people to acquire skills and capabilities and to deploy those skills and capabilities across not just a single job, but across a 
gigs, across assignments, projects, participation on initiatives. So moving from a one-to-one -one relationship to a many-to-many. -many. Suzanne, did you want to pick up on some of the other changes? We see an opportunity to rethink culture and leadership. You know, if you think about as technology and disruption continue to change the organizational landscape, culture is becoming more and more critical as that unifying force amongst the workforce. And uh, it goes beyond that. The attention to culture is needed and also a growing focus for, for leaders, board directors, investors, consumers, uh, all around. And we also are starting to see what are the effects of when culture breaks down. You know, it's playing out in the headlines. It's playing out as employees walk out. It's playing out as investors make real decisions on where they're going to place their bets on your organization. You know, you look at the great study that Sherm just released on the high cost of a toxic workplace culture, and you can see um, the impact on the business uh, with a toxic environment. One in five American workers leaving a job due to poor workplace culture. And just to add to that, the study also points out, you know, one in four uh, people went to work today not even wanting to go, like literally dreading that. This cost of turnover is stemming from the workplace culture, and the estimates are that it exceeded, you know, $223 billion in cost in the U.S. I love this quote from Johnny at Sherm, um, which is one that just sticks with me. We've reached a culture tipping point with blurred lines between work and life. So, you know, I guess ask yourself, are legacy models losing relevance here? We think the answer is yes. With the impact of this evolving work ecosystem, we think it's critical for chief people officers to prioritize and create a more inclusive and diverse workplace. And companies with a weak workplace culture are going to face increased risk of turnover from employees with a direct impact on the company's financials. So this started to play out more and more as we went into the data as well. When we interviewed Malika Myers, the CPO of the Hyatt Hotels, she's working very closely with the business right now to bridge the customer experience and the employee experience. And looking at how she is getting clear with the C-suite on keeping the culture as that North Star, really keeping the heart, the purpose of the organization, finding ways to ensure that they are delivering on purpose, the sense of belonging, not just talking about it. So this, from this perspective, we start to see how we might say, as one of our uh, chief people officers pointed out, culture becoming the new structure, something that connects talent to that common vision and purpose around their employment relationship, and trying to find a way to build that robust culture that has that collaboration, that way to power new thinking innovation and innovation, and creates that optimal environment for a more engaged workforce. So as we think forward, some of the key takeaways here for chief people officers and emerging leaders in HR are 
to really give culture that currency it deserves. 97% of our participants agreed, and that, that is very important. Prioritizing inclusion is going to be key, and the impact on the business results are going to be seen. And then thirdly, really challenge the current leadership models that are in place. What we're seeing coming forward and you'll read more about in the white paper is how do you build more of a collective in terms of empowering leadership on the front lines versus driving top-down leadership programs. Finally, I think that it's important for you all to know that it's, this is about working together across the C-suite. One of the startling statistics that we found from participants was when CPOs were asked how far they were progressing in terms of their culture priorities, only about half, 49%, said they're making average progress. On the flip side, the CEOs who answered that survey, 80%, 79% to be precise, said they're making progress to their culture goals. So I sense a bit of a disconnect there and an opportunity for all of us to really open up the conversation around culture. The next category that Robin touched on at the beginning of the call was really about how do we elevate our HR decision science? This is clearly a pivot that's been on the rise over a number of years. Many practitioners looking at data, data, data to try to find meaning from the data that you have. And that as we become closer and closer to being a business-led function and change agents with the business in all of the transformation ahead, we need to find better ways to help the organization navigate this disruption by bringing a strong decision science acumen. Now, if you think about it, you know, T.S. Eliot said, um, where is the wisdom we have lost in knowledge? Where is the knowledge we have lost in information? This is really important. We cannot be blind in the way that we are anchoring up our insights and analytics around where to go with the people strategy. Decision science needs to be that critical tool that will help us understand how the people data aligns with the business data and drives the right behaviors and um, business cases for change. One of our biggest challenges is less than 20% of organizations say they have the capability today to apply the right predictive analytics with that um, data. They say they have a lot of data, it's in a lot of different parts, but what are you doing with it? What I love is as we got into some of our interviews, like with Scott from Amazon, you know, this is more about um, than just getting the data. This is really about thinking about how do we apply data and technology to be also a way to bring evidence-based decisions to our profession, and we need to move from a world of experience to one of judgment plus science plus analytics. So really important, we heard this loud and clear, it's really important to be able to tell the right story to bring those elements, that foundation of the art, that human instinct, and, and bring forward the why the data is telling us the story that it's telling. 
So while this is a critical direction for the chief people officer, you know, we, we have a big gap. Only 8% of our focus group participants, for starters, believe they have a complete and strategically relevant global data set for their people. So there, there needs to be some attention there. There also needs to be a view on how are you building these data science capabilities within the function. You know, we, we heard from people like Michael Durham, who's the CEO of American Seafoods and on the board of Tyson's Foods. You need fewer experts to know how to operate in HR, and you need more people who can think conceptually and use data to their advantage. So what are you going to do about it? Our focus group participants said, you know, those three things, predictive analytics, data insights, and insights on how to personalize the employee experience are going to be their top priorities. So the takeaways to build that decision science capability is all around aligning with the business objectives, finding ways to build those data science capabilities, and um, looking at, not, don't forget the human element critical component. Why are people behaving and doing what they're doing according to the data? And then pushing on getting that data right so that you can build integrated data platforms. Diane Gerson noted from IBM, she said, with the use of integrated data platforms, we don't have to organize around functions anymore. We can organize around the employee experiences we want to deliver and have multifunctional groups. So a real call to action, but perhaps as we've been going through each of these pivot points, getting more and more complex as we think about elevating our capabilities and leading for bold change. We really believe this is a huge opportunity for all of us, whether we're on the path to become a chief people officer or sit in that position today. We believe that this is our golden age for the profession with an if, if we choose to own it, right? So there's never been a better time for us to think about the rapid technological innovation and democratization of work and the expanding role of the chief people officer. In this more expansive role, the chief people officer will be that architect. Imagine that architect of the new strategic initiatives that the organization is bringing forward, looking ahead, being that, that futurist to have foresight around the workplace trends and challenges, and proactively advising the CEO and the board. Bringing that all together, we see the, the new shape of talent and work solutions coming together to really drive and fuel that business growth. So when we're looking at shaping the curriculum and the development plan for the future, we see three categories that, that we have to pay attention to. You know, look at those five pivot points and think about how do you develop deeper business insight? What are the critical insights that you need to look at that are new and, and really be a person who knows what those are and communicate them fully in your organization? Second is, what do we need to do to lead with impact? What will leadership look like for the chief people officer? What will the day-to-day -day look like, right? How do we show up 
and lead the day-to-day -day operations of HR while being on the other side, that ambidexterity, a true business leader to drive that transformation. And lastly, what um, are we going to do to accelerate capabilities and tap into what we already have to build and go further around things like decision science, around true business acumen, around our digital capabilities. In closing, I want to share with you something that Lucianne Alzari, the CHRO of Prudential, said in our um, panel that we had on this at the HRPS just a couple of weeks ago. He said, ask yourself, who are you? and who do you want to be? I think that is the right question as we face these opportunities to pivot for the future of our profession and for the future of our career growth and trajectory and for the impact we want to make on people and the business. This is really our moment. I believe the future looks bright for chief people officers who are bold enough to embrace this expansive strategic role. It's not easy. We acknowledge that. It will be a journey. And by imagining the possibilities in the evolving work ecosystem, thinking about how to invent new ways of working and new talent solutions, these will come together to ignite a new path forward, driving exponential business growth, terrific people, paths, and success. Thank you for listening to this excerpt from our recent webinar. This is the golden age of the HR profession. There's never been a better time to be a leader in the function. The future looks bright for CPOs who are bold enough to embrace this expansive strategic role. This is Lisa Connell, Executive Director of Sherm's Executive Network, HR People and Strategy. For more information on the Future Chief People Officer Report or further details on HRPS, please visit hrps.org slash Future Chief People Officer.